It's very effective. It's going to sound funny, but Legos for mm. blocking. That is camera blocking hilarious. with the actors, with whatever props, like getting the Legos out and, you know, like, okay, where do you think everybody is? And then Anthony, you know, like kind of put, you know, it's like we're playing with Legos at a coffee shop, but it is so efficient. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nakotra. Excited to be in the studio today with my friend, the one, the only, the legendary, Mr. Shane Reitzammer. Shane, how are you doing today, brother? Super good, man. Thanks for that legendary add in there. I, I meant to say call it, you true. legendary and I forgot to put it in there, but you are legendary, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Man, I'm pumped. I'm excited for today. It's going to be a good episode. So we have a very special guest with us in the studio today. He is a director and DP and friend of mine. His name is Mr. Andrew Holshue. Andrew, welcome to the show, brother. Hello. <laughs> um, greetings, man. So uh, thank you for coming down to the studio. We are always excited when we, when we, what, 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 when we have guests in person. Um, and so thanks for taking some time to come out here. We're excited to chat. Um, before we kick this off, I have to say that one of my very first introductions to Andrew was seeing a behind-the-scenes video that he did from one of his short films, and it was – the behind the scenes from Ever Present. Oh, yeah. And it was the coolest BTS video for like narrative film work that I think I've ever seen. Oh, thanks. And I I was like, dude, because uh, we got connected through a mutual friend. And yeah. I was like, I got to meet this guy because the way that your mind works is incredible to me. And so nice. I am a fan of your work, man. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, true. He does talk about that video a lot. And I said like, it to him one? like three times. Again, I'm like, oh yeah, this one's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. said it to him like three times. Yeah, I was yeah. like, this yeah. is the new standard for BTS videos. Yeah. It's good. I, I, I was really happy with that one. I think that was the second BTS. Uh, I normally don't do BTS because yeah. I, like, I don't have a crew normally. Yeah. But that one I, I did. And we had enough people filming yeah. stuff that I could like make something with. Well, and it was cool too because you actually just like talked I mean, it didn't sound magical, but like you talked about like your thought process and yeah. like the directorial motivation of the project. Yeah. And then you like make it sound like it's, uh, you know, filtered out through like a high pass <laughs> filter. Right. And I was just like, this is just interesting, man. And so I was a fan. You captivated me. It's, the funny thing is um, I like, so I, I, I wanted to have that for, you know, you, you do the short film and then you put it through festivals and kind of do a little bit of promotion and whatever you can afford to like do in your free time. And so like I, I came up with this like I guess formula of like you gotta have a BTS to like make the film help the film feel attractive and yeah. you know enticing. And you know, festivals might be a little more inclined to go with you if you've got some BTS stuff. So um, you know, just general marketing thoughts. But um uh I I didn't have a lot of time to work on it and I wanted to interview people. So I just called him up on the phone and I, my, I think the only mic that I had with me was a little point and shoot like Canon elf camera. Cause I was like shooting it for like home movies at the time. And so I just like used the, I, I just hit record and like held it on speakerphone and that's how I interviewed everybody and it's great. And then I just had to figure out how to like do that filter on my own voice, which I think I did 
an okay job at. Dude, but it's such an artistic way to do an interview that like it's so played out when we can do them on set. And it's great and it's cool. But like having you do like a phone interview, like I felt like it was just like a breath of fresh life to a BTS video. I was like, this is cool, man. I, so. I've been really inspired recently by a, a YouTube channel called The Spirited Man. A lot of his stuff is shot on a GoPro or cameras, they're not, like, doesn't have an Aerie or a, yeah. a Red or anything. Like, it's it's grainy and, and crispy and all the things that we don't like. Like, it's, but it feels like he, he has, like, this kind of art perspective of, like, just doing things differently um, that I, I really like. So it's kind of, I, I think maybe I was embracing that a little bit. I think I was actually wearing a, a shirt that I bought from the YouTube channel. <laughs> in the, the Your spirited man, spirit right, animal right. coming together. Right. I want to I want to watch this video again now that uh, we're talking about it. And now we have like some inside knowledge. So, uh, and well, if it's cool, you will put the your link to sure, the video. Yeah. We'll put yeah. it in the caption. So you guys, if you're watching on YouTube, you can it's click cool. that link, check out this BTS video that Joey is raving about. Yes. It is <laughs> it's very, tight. very cool. Yeah. Um, well, man, really quick, I want to kind of talk to you too about short films in general. So you have like a pretty good amount of short films that are in your, I always call them discography, but that's not the right word. What is the right word? Portfolio? Fil filmography. Filmography. Like filmography go. is really for like features. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have like a good that. rap sheet of short films, and I want to talk to you about like rap sheet. what's like there. You go. <laughs> uh, what like what's your why, um, and what's been your motivation to create those? Man, I think I got into filmmaking wanting to make films, and so, I mean, the idea is like I'd, I'd like to make movies, like longer movies. Um, that's my goal still right now. So, you know, you kind of start with a short, and you kind of figure that out. I, I'm, I'm learning now that there's different ways of going around, like figuring out how to make a feature length film. Um, it doesn't, you know, it's not necessarily this like, you know, make a, make a, but it kind of is like, I mean, what else do you do? You make a proof of concept, it, you know, you shoot like a scene from this like bigger idea that you have, you pick something out that can kind of stand alone as a, as a short. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm still cutting my teeth with all this filmmaking yeah. stuff. So it's just like, it, you, it's, it's manageable. Um, I really like the idea of like shorter. I mean, I've been doing a lot of pre-pro work on a feature. So now I'm like kind of absorbed with that. But um, before that, I was really, I was wanting to try this idea of just making like a minute or two long short, like a one scene type short film, just to like keep them happening. I, I just, I feel like there's, there's this mystery to good storytelling through film that I'm still trying to grasp. Hmm. I, I've thought about that recently too. Like when you watch um, like a B movie and you're like, what really is the, the differentiator between those A-list movies and the B-list movies? You know, they have good stories, they have good acting, they have all these things, but it, feels like a B movie and, and I don't know what yeah. that mystery element is. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it too, but I'm like, wh what is that, that awe factor almost between the B and the A? I yeah, haven't figured it a, out yet. A, a helpful, like, so doing shorts like has helped a lot. And I think in the past couple of shorts, I realized like, oh, I think I did something wrong here and maybe not wrong, but like, I know where I could do better. Mm, yeah. And I know how like, you know, a lot of it's like the hero's journey. Um, you know, 
I, I really like Save the Cat. I, I think that's a, a great, yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. He's a Save the Cat fanatic. Love it. Yeah, this the feature we're working on, like, you know, the whole script is kind of, we reference Save the Cat, which it gives you a lot, like, whether you agree with it or not, aspects of it, like, it gives you some really good, like, foundational language exactly. to talk story. Yes. Like, oh, I think we're, you know, we got too much pipe here leading up to this point. And, mm-hmm. and like, you know, doing the whole, um, what do you call them? The uh, story beats. The, the, and, yeah, yeah. The, the beat sheet where you get out the post, post-it notes or mm-hmm. the, the flashcards and write on them. And it's super helpful. It's like, it, I, I feel like this year I've really started to wrap my head around like that, that mystery. But it's still a mystery yeah. to me. <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, um, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing in the industry right now. Can you catch us up on like what you as a filmmaker <clears throat> looks right now? Yeah, in- industry is kind of a weird word. I feel like I'm, I'm not, I, I don't know. I, I think I have a lot of imposter syndrome uh, because I've, I like these short films that I've made, like they've just been kind of on my own, like uh, – the the last so ever present was like I think the only short film I've done that I that I directed I worked with a DP and we had an AC and I think that because we didn't it was like kind of nonverbal so we didn't really need audio um, but yeah like having an AC is new to me like I'm usually pulling my own focus and doing all the stuff that you shouldn't do using photography lenses, which isn't really something you shouldn't do, but I guess it was in December, around December of last year, uh, my friend Anthony reached out to me uh, about this script that he was writing, and he was working on getting it funded for uh, a feature-length version of a short film that we did back in, I think it was like 20, end of 2017, early 2018. Um, so I was like, cool, yeah, let's do it. I trust you as a director. Uh, you can definitely lead a ship. Uh, and, you know, I think working working with a bunch of actors, working with crew and kind of maintaining like a, a overall energy of a set, like he's been really good at doing that. Um, the I think we've worked together like on two separate short films and both times like I was like, this is someone I could be a DP for. Cause I'm, I'm very director minded. Mm. Uh, so like, that's, I think that's where I find myself. Like I, I, I'm, I have like kind of a, when I have, I, I do think very visually, but I think I get very like convicted with my, like the way that I see the edit playing out and like, you know, how it feels and everything. Um, but so yeah, it's it was interesting being asked to like DP a feature, um, and I wouldn't say yes to anybody. Um, but uh, yeah, since then um, it's been just kind of a different shift towards thinking like long term. <laughs> like I've never really read a script from beginning to end, and that's like that's like that takes multiple days. Mm, it's a book. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It's uh, like I had to sit down. I'm like, gosh, I'm only like. 20 pages in, but I have to, you have to like envision it and think like, you know, you have to like read the lines, but then think of like, how, how am I seeing it? Am I Mm. reading these lines? Right. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting process. A lot of times with reading scripts too, like I almost do a cold read where 
I try not to envision anything, and I try to just like read it like a book. I'm, I'm almost I can't do that. When I read a book, I yeah, I think of the movie of the book. Well, I, let me rephrase it. I try not to think of all of my shots when I read through the first time, and I try to almost just like experience the movie, and then I almost have to go back through the script a second time and be like, okay, now how many angles do I see like playing here? Like, is this a wide? like two shot and then overs, but I can't do that on the first read a lot of times. Is there a DP that you see when you read a book or a script, like you're, you're the way you just envision the, you know, the story in your head. Yeah. Is, is there like a, a kind of a DP that you just naturally like, that's your mind of, you know, like I've, I've heard like Steven Spielberg <clears throat> sees the world in 25 millimeter. Like, yeah. Do you have something like that? Um, it's funny you bring that up because a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll experience that almost on like FaceTime and zoom where I like, I'll, I'll read, like, I'll judge the angle that they're at and I'll, I'll try to fix my own. Um, but when I'm reading other people's stuff, I think it depends. Um, Tim Ives is somebody who's really inspired me as a DP. Uh, Shane actually put me on to Mr. Robot, which was like a big game changer for me. I um, I don't know names very he well. He DP'd Stranger Things. Okay. Um, and so I haven't like, watched it. Oh man, there's so many things I haven't oh, watched. Oh man, we got to put all the crash explosion sound yeah. effects in right now. <laughs> but um, I, I was really slow to actually watch uh, Stranger Things. Oh, it took me. I, was, so I waited until like it was watch shows. three or four done before yeah. I, I I then binged it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, in Mr. Robot, he has this incredible approach to basically make everybody uncomfortable by breaking all of the rules in Mm. cinematography. And so, like, he'll frame somebody up on, like, the edge of the frame because it makes them feel trapped um, or, or, you know, just, like, it makes you as an audience member feel uncomfortable. Or he'll put their head, like, right at the bottom of the frame and have all this dead space above them. Mm. And when I watched that show, it challenged me to when I'm visualizing and thinking of how I want to compose this shot, how to do it in a way that makes audiences feel something different besides traditional textbook filmmaking where you perfectly have them on the rule of thirds and they're perfectly two to one ratioed. And, you know, it's just, it challenged me to when I'm visualizing those things to think outside of the box of how I normally do them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I, there's like there's an example on the tip of my head telling of like some movies, but I can't. Yeah, think of them. it's the and you got to be. I, I feel like you know Ives does it really well because he breaks rules for a reason. Because you got right. a lot of people that just break rules and right. you know they're trying to be artsy or edgy or maybe I'm I'm just not getting the reason why they're breaking the rule. But his, I feel like every it's like why is this whole scene green? You know, like this green tint, and then you find out later that this character is feeling ill for you know there's there's always meaning in him in the mistakes that we would call mistakes in traditional filmmaking yeah. that he does and i love that element and like you said that's cool i think that's a you know thinking outside the box is so hard to do to your point when you're reading it you're kind of envisioning it and you're probably envisioning it in maybe a perfect way like how can i make this scene perfect but then on top of that like how can i uh, yeah. break the rules and put meaning into your shot. Yeah. That's really cool. I like and that. I think that's the art of being a DP. You know, it's like you are trying to bring, you're trying to motivate the camera to tell a story in a more interesting way um, a lot of times. Mm. And that that's kind of one of the things that I try to lean into is like, how can I make this interesting? How can I make it feel motivated? Um, 
and just tell a story in a unique way. And Tim was one of the people that kind of shifted my mindset around that. So hmm. Andrew, who do you, so when you yeah, see, I you, have an answer. Yeah. What's em, the, Emmanuel Lubezki. Ah, oh, oh, super wide. Right. I, oh. I, I, I you're right. Uh, you know, Azkaban, yeah. uh, children, of men, like really, really wide. Like, I, I don't know what, you know, lens and camera body mm -hmm. combination, but it yeah. feels like at least with super 35, it's like 12 millimeters kind mm -hmm. of yeah. what it feels like. Mm. Um, yeah, just the. I mean, I'm, and he'll get real close to right. on people, and it's like. I mean, I'm oh. a big fan of Terrence Malick. I think that's mm -hmm. you know, Tree of Life is one of my favorite mm. movies. Um, Great movie. I think that's kind of where I've like, just you know, though my like my work doesn't necessarily speak to that. It, I think uh, some of his cinematography has inspired me the most, and like you know, paired with someone like Terrence Malick. Yeah. Um, granted, like, you know, not all of his movies are like. They're very untraditional storytelling. It's it's more like a meditation. Um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, the film Baraka. Um, it sounds familiar, but I haven't. Yeah, seen it's it. it's a uh, it, very similar. I would put it in the same category as Tree of Life, although it's it's purely documentary. Uh, nothing narrative about it, but there's also no story. Yeah, the story is more like in your own journey of interpreting the images. Hmm. Um, super like that's I think some of my top movies are like Tree of Life, Baraka. Uh, there's other ones, but those are yeah. Like when when I when I read a book or something, I think like the my mind kind of goes wider like that and kind of yeah. like floating around a bit yeah. more. I love that epic wide, <clears throat> the Revenant and all of that. Man, love the the style of those storytellers. Yeah. Uh, but and again, he's a rule breaker too by putting like a wide angle right up on somebody's face. Yeah, right? yeah, you know? <laughs> non-traditional for sure. Yeah. Uh, you brought up something earlier that I wanted to ask you about, and it's so um, you and me both I think have this in common where a lot of the projects that we've DP'd, we've also been a director on at yeah. some point in our career, and it's it's a very difficult mind shift to. Um, when you have those gigs where there's a, di a director outside of you on set, you have to almost take a back seat to the voice in the back of your head that's trying to direct the film as you go, like to a sense. How do you separate um, yourself as a DP when working with a director, you know, right now? I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> I feel really, I just, I'm, I, you know, stories like everything. And if the story doesn't make sense to me, I think one way that I've found to um, like ad address it as a DP with a director is to say like, I'm having a hard time like uh, understanding how, how we're going to visualize this yeah. because I, I just, I think I, I, I think very visually. I just see the shots. I might not see all of them, but I, I definitely get a, a majority of it. And um, so, I don't know, most of my work has been me directing and also shooting. And uh, I think to my detriment, probably, <laughs> um, I, I really like the idea of having a DP, um, but I've just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I like having the camera in my hand, and I think the visual is very important. And like I, you know, a lot of my career has been working with pretty small budgets or doing stuff on my own and having like almost no budget. And so, like, yeah, I'd love to bring on a DP, but I, you know, they have to be kind of a partner on the project with me. Right. 
um, and have to also be able to kind of um, a lot of, I, I, I don't know, I, I feel kind of arrogant saying this, but like a, a lot of the, the DPs that I found that are, are um, at like my quality of doing DP work, like they need to charge to be a part of the project. <laughs> I'm like, well, I can't afford it on this project. It's a passion project. And so I'm just going to DP it myself because I know how to. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's like, it's kind of like, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Because uh, I can, I can control everything. But sometimes like that doesn't allow you collaboration. So right. I don't know, being on the, on the DP side, um, working with a director, I think I have to just like, I think, I think me and Anthony, Anthony's the director who's, uh, you know, who wrote this film that now we're, we're working on together. Um, our relationship's very different, I think, than a traditional DP director. I, I mean, he he wants me on board because he knows that I'm so story-focused and not so focused on gear and what lenses we're using, even though we did have long discussions about what lenses we're using. Um, and I, that stuff does matter, but, like, at, at the core, what matters is, like, is the story we're telling any good? Like, mm. and are, like is, is it good, meaning, like, are we telling it right? Mm. Um, and so he's welcome, like, all criticism I have of the script. Uh, we've kind of bounced things back and forth. We've, like, we've actually, you know, we beat cheated the whole thing. And, like, that was, you know, from my perspective, I'm like, look, I need in your head to know how you see this. And uh, he thinks very much more in, like, words. And I think more in pictures. So that's been an interesting, like, kind of figuring out, like, because I... He does see things like he sees how this is shot. We just have to kind of figure out like how to get on the same page. So, um, yeah, it's I, I feel really needy. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a common thing for like a DP and a director for the DP to. You know, is like, it a common <laughs> thing, Shane? <laughs> am I needy? No, am I needy? Oh. <laughs> I, like as a DP, I feel needy yeah. with my director. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Uh. I feel, uh, I love the collaboration part, right? And I think feel like that's what you're saying, though, with you and Anthony. You all have such a close relationship. You speak, even though you speak differently, you speak the same language, right? You're after the same thing. And I think that's what I love, what I've developed with Joey and, and other people. You know, that's it just takes time, right, mm -hmm. to develop that relationship and be able to speak that collaboration. But I don't think, uh, I don't think, um, I mean, I guess I, I'm always needy. I always need something else uh, <laughs> from not so, you. Yeah, not so much the the director and you, but the DP and me. I I need more time, or I need <laughs> <Yeah>. more. <laughs> I need more <clears throat> you something. Give, you give uh, if you give Joey, you know, twelve hours, he'll fill all twelve hours. You know, and if I yeah. but if, but to his uh, glory, if I give him thirty minutes, he'll have it ready to go and like. 35 minutes. <laughs> so like in pre-production pre though, like, you know, you, you've got this like dialogue scene or something and you're like, okay, what's the vibe of this? Like I'm reading the yeah. words on the page, but like what's the, how, like how, I don't know. It's like we, we have to kind of do a table read yeah. or, you know, we have to kind of like, um, at one point we talked about like, like on a graph, like the energy level yeah. of the scene mm. and like, where where is it that like you know you can hear a pin drop? Is there a point where you can hear a pin drop? Is there like a really intense part? Are we building up? Is this like a 
you know, a slow ramp up, a crescendo to like a big moment. Where is that big moment? Because it could be here. I read this line here up at the top of the page, but no, now that we've talked about it, that is actually just like a side comment that this character makes. It's actually yeah. the ramp is coming up to here. And it's just crazy how like, you know, different readers of a script can read different things. And Such I a think, good point. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that collaboration piece. Like when I've done like narrative projects, there's lots of meetings that happen with the director where in my experience, you can almost find that moment together and find that energy together where it's like, what what are you imagining for this scene? Like, how do you imagine it to feel? And then they can come to me and from a technical like camera standpoint, I can talk about how we can push in during this moment to really, you know, right. get right up in a character's right. face and feel that what they're feeling. That's that's been kind of what we've we've been doing. So yeah. a fun thing. Uh it's very effective. It's gonna sound funny, but Legos for hmm. blocking. That camera hilarious. blocking with the actors, with whatever props. Like I I love Legos, love Legos my whole life, and I still have all my Legos. Uh, and uh, yeah, we so this um, this film has ten characters. At least in the beginning of the film, it's ten characters in a room, very similar to like Twelve Angry Men, but ten. Um, and you know the blocking, like it's a trying to figure out like, well, where is everybody going to be? Like this is very important. We're we're borrowing a, a, a lot of tools from more classical, I think, cinematography. I don't know if the word classical is right, but um, yeah, getting the Legos out and, you know, like, okay, where do you think everybody is? And then Anthony, you know, like kind of put, the, you know, it's like, we're playing with Legos at a coffee shop, but it is so efficient. Wow. And like, I, I did it with Everpresent as well, uh, because that one, though, you know, it's just two characters, like, the screen direction of you know where the camera was moving. When do we break the 180? This is a big. I originally thought this would be like a big long oneer, but then it's taking way too long for you know. So you, you need to make sure to get enough coverage so that if the oneer doesn't really work, you have something you have an, another angle to cut from. Um, but yeah, we we planned. I uh, me and and uh, the DP I worked with was Michael Kelly. We he's also more of a director mind and i you know though it can be really hard for two director minds to you know one assume director and one assume director of photography but both be so concerned about the story as a director would and this is like small scale i'm sure like hollywood like you know people who have multiple features under their belt like you kind of get in a rhythm that the the machine of the film industry and like the kind of the more traditional ways of doing things makes more sense but i feel like i'm super indie where it's like look whatever works just figure it out as long as you make a good story and all the relationships you're in are are healthy and respectful um so like with yeah with, with ever present and with uh uh with this film we're working on both it's been like to get in each other's heads <laughs> it takes a bit more work yeah. uh because we're both like have we come to it with like different ideas and we're kind of merging and collaborating yeah. like oh well what what if we did this I'm like ah oh, no that's not really the the energy of the scene really needs to carry up to this point like oh okay and well what if we did you know and it's just this back and forth and you do that for like 2 hours worth and it's like now we have one scene. <laughs> <laughs> no, 2 hours of like uh you know of a movie you know oh, uh, gotcha, right gotcha. right oh. but 
I mean, yes, two hours for one scene, <laughs> yeah. I think, was at least the amount of time we yeah. spent playing with wow. Legos. That's so so awesome. But, it, like, you know, it, it would have taken so much longer to... And I, I got, the, uh, what is it, Previs Pro, which is a great software, I think. For, you know, iPad, you, you know, 3D software. Um, but it didn't... To work as a DP with a director, you need something tangible. You know, whether it's action figures, whatever, like, um, it, you know playing doll or a Lego or action figure and you have the little people and you're kind of setting up a little diorama. Like there's no difference in that as a child and filmmaking. I mean, the difference is like you get a camera and you have some budget and real people, but the pretend, the like you're imagining the the flow of this scene and stuff. Like you don't realize it as a kid, but like that's what you're, you're imagining all of that. Um, and... I think that's like really effective to play doll, uh, you know, unless you're at a point where like you can kind of assume from each other, like, oh yeah, I know what you're going for. Yeah, 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 do your thing, you know? And I think like some of these big directors and DPs that we, you know, that everybody talks about, like they already have that reputation, you know? Like I don't really have any features that I can speak of that I've made. Um, and like the shorts that I've made, like haven't really won any awards or anything. Like, I think I'm still learning from all that. So, um, you know, I haven't figured out the, the mystery of how to like make a movie. Um, I, I feel like once you, I don't know if you like arrive to any point or if you're always just learning and like these, you know, bigger names, uh, they look back at their work from 10 years ago and like, oh God, that's so, that's <laughs> so like 10 years ago me, you know? <laughs> that's how I feel. I feel like that from like shorts. I mean, I have like a handful of shorts that I feel proud of. Yeah. And mm -hmm. everything else gets a little, uh, I kind of cringe when I watch it. Yeah. Well, I don't think you ever grow out of that because I, you know, even stuff that I've done three, four years ago, it's like, I just know that the version of me that I have arrived at right now is, you know, it's like, it's proud. It's cool to be proud of that in that time frame. But when you look at who you are now, you, you hold it to that standard instead of, you know, that was at one point the greatest thing that you had done and was something to be proud of. But as we grow, it's always, you know, we're trying to out outperform. I'm inspired though right now. Like I feel like I want to go find some Legos for our next like script discussion. Like yeah. this you unpack something that I dude, I love it though. I, you're saying, you know, you're on this journey, but we we're all on the journey, right? And you're kind of paving your own way. Like the Lego demonstration, <laughs> the things that you're coming up with. That, that's super unique, and that's in. We're gonna see the results, you know, of it in the film that you guys create. So I, I'm inspired right now, and I'm like, dude, I want to go pull out some Lego. You any <laughs> Lego film? <laughs> also, pun intended on the blocking of the film with Lego. Oh blocks. my gosh, oh. there it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's funny. Blocking is yeah. got a whole new meaning now. Shout out to we'll tag Legos yeah, in, uh, in this episode. Go. Sponsored yeah. by sponsorship Legos. for yeah. you guys. Yeah, exactly. I think it was a really cool picture that that you painted, and just like. It made me think about when I was a kid playing with action figures. When I was playing with them, I was imagining a movie in my head. Right. It's role playing. And right. you're put it's it's exactly what we do right now for a career where like you're seeing this G.I. Joe or whatever, and you're, you know, moving them and you're imagining the film that's happening in your bedroom as a child. Right. Uh, and just to take that childlike imagination 
and bring it to a film, what better way to paint a picture before you actually touch paint to canvas? I think that's really cool, man. Yeah. Hmm. Um, talk to me. So we, we kind of talked a little bit about just prepping. Is there anything else that you do to prepare or are preparing um, in the feature that you're working on? Uh, yeah. So the script, I think we, we got to a place where we're pretty good with the script. Um, that was like making sure that I, I understood kind of the, the, the flow of like the beat sheet, you know, um, and where are the big points where like this information is revealed. And sometimes that's obvious. And sometimes it's like, mm, what if we took that out? You know, and like I feel like a DP is probably not supposed to say, hey, director, what if we like took that scene out? Like, would it, do you think it'd be more powerful if we just like cut half that scene out and just cut like cold cut right from here to the next one? Like that could be more powerful. And it's like, I'm definitely, you know, overstepping, but it's also uh, what I really like is that that's been invited. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I uh, originally, I, I don't know, I, I guess I'm just very opinionated. <laughs> Um, I mean, obviously, like he he wrote it, like pretty much all of it. But uh, you know, turning it into something visual, I have to be involved with that. You know, I think maybe some some directors are like super; they already know exactly how they see it. Um, and other directors are more like, I know the story, I know the like, I I know the the character arcs, but you know visually like I'm kind of leaning on you DP like what do you think I'm like well I don't know that I understand the energy of this scene like where, where are we leading up to um so there's a lot of that earlier on now it's like playing with Legos uh we've done that with I think three or four scenes that are like the, the big ones that uh really when like all 10 characters are in a room and there's not like a table there's nothing it's a jail cell so it's like we have to figure out like blocking is really what we have. There's, there's one, uh, there's no like electric lights in the cell in the story. Uh, it's just the light coming in from one window. So we're blocking with the light, like the, the lighting is stationary and we're moving the characters around to do what you'd normally do. I think with, you know, moving the lights around, um, See what else are we that, doing? That's that's one of the things that I'm constantly looking at when I'm working with a director and blocking a film is like how can we move the characters to optimize, you know, the angle and the lighting at the same time. And I think that's one of the difficult things for me in blocking a scene is when I'm helping a director block. That's all I'm thinking about is like what optimizes the like the cinematography of it. And it's hard too because you you don't want to shortcut the story, um, you know, for the cinematography. But it's something that you have to constantly juggle and balance. Like, can we move this person here, and then be on this side of the key and tell the story from this angle? And then when we cut to our over, we may have to jump the line to get back. To, you know, it's like mm -hmm. the, it's the math of trying to figure out the motivation of the key and where we can move our Lego pieces to optimize for story and cinema. Right, and when, when you have like a lot of dialogue going between, I mean, 12 Angry Men was like, has been a huge reference for us. And we like, you know, studied a lot of what that film did. I mean, the cinematography in it is incredible. 
Um, the, I mean, every, you just pause anywhere on it and it's like, holy crap, they've got, you know, the person in the foreground, but then there's all these other people and their positions are just perfectly. And like, we can't do that, but we can strive yeah. to do something like it. Well, I got another question for yeah. you. What is your thoughts on storyboarding? Because, you know, there's, there's mixed uh, opinions on storyboards. And when you have that many pieces to the story that you're trying to tell, um, I think storyboarding becomes an interesting topic. What is your thoughts on storyboarding just in general? Uh, so the uh, Ever Present was the first film that I really like storyboarded intentionally. Like we made like a really simple story and I wanted to dive into like all the visuals and, and make it really intentional, every part of it. Uh, before that, I didn't really storyboard anything. Um, I, I had a lot of inspiration. Uh, you know, I was like, I want it to be like this scene of this movie and stuff. Uh, but I, I feel like that wasn't that great. Like, I think I, I've grown into a place where like, yeah, you need to storyboard. And like, you might change what you're doing, but I think it's, you know, similar to if you practice and, you know, if you play an instrument, like your performance is the shoot day. That's your big performance in front of an audience. But you have hours and hours of practice of that one piece of music leading up to that. So it's it's similar. Like the storyboarding is all the hours of practice. You know, storyboarding, doing the beat sheet, doing like all this stuff. Like, yeah, it's not fun work. But like, even if you just throw away the storyboard, and this is like coming from, you know, reading up on different directors and stuff over the past year that I've, you know, basically once I got brought onto this feature, I started like searching desperately, like, how do you make a feature? <laughs> and, like, and you know, how do the greats do it? Or how have they done it? And it's it's a lot of um it, like just a lot of practice. Practice being like, do the storyboard, do all the prep work. And there's so much previs work that goes in. Uh and then on the day of the shoot, there's like you could change things completely, but you're changing them from a place already. And you know you're breaking the 180 here with these two characters, but it's because like, well, this thing changed with the lighting and stuff, but it's gonna work. It's it's gonna be better than what we planned. You had something that you planned that you're going off of. Um, I know that like I I read up a lot on like Chris Nolan because I I really like the recent Oppenheimer, uh, even though it was a lot of medium and close-up shots, and I'm like. For the film I'm working on now, where there's like 10 people on screen a lot of the time, like this is a little disappointing, but I still really like, it's just a fascinating movie. Um, and so I was like looking up a lot of, um, you know, Chris Nolan stuff. And I, I heard somewhere, maybe in an interview that like they don't do a lot of storyboarding. But again, you're at a point where you're working with it, all of the crew that you're bringing on. It's not the first thing they're doing, you know? So I, I think... I'm at a place right now where I'm just trying to try, like, I feel like I can't really break a ton of rules yet. I feel like I've been breaking rules, like, too much, uh, like, almost arrogantly most of my career. And now I'm like, okay, let's just try to do it the way that they've always done it. And then once I figure that out, once I, like, I, I've made, uh, you know, I storyboarded, I did the, you know, 100, all, all, all the... 100% of how you like, you're supposed to do it, then I can stray from that. Um, granted, like we're still straying a lot from that with with what we're working on now, but um, yeah, I just, I feel like I'm still learning so much that I don't, I can't just, um, 
I can't be in a place where I say like, oh, we, we don't storyboard. Like, I think at some point you you can just make that decision because you can read each other's minds. You're like, oh yeah, you, you, I know how you're gonna shoot that. Like, I'm gonna focus on the actors. I'm gonna focus on the story because like, I, I know the angle you're gonna pick, you know? But that's after you've, you know, like Nolan, what's his uh, DP? Um, I can't remember uh, the guy's Hoyt name. Von, yeah, Hoyt right. Ma. I mean, he's done like a, a lot of good stuff. Everything <laughs> right. that he everything. does is amazing. Right, and and so like now you get to Oppenheimer, and like of course he said in some interview that I watched that they don't store. Maybe they do. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Know. I don't know where I heard that, but it's like it's not a surprise that like a lot of these films that we look up to, like maybe they didn't storyboard a majority of it, or maybe they didn't do some previs work or some pre-production because they they've worked together and they have these relationships. And I think at our stage, we're just kind of still figuring that out, you know? Dude, I'm one, I'm inspired by that, but I think there's a, a lesson that can be learned from that for people that are coming up and trying to make films, like going by the book instead of coloring outside of the lines is a unique way to stretch you as a filmmaker and how you see the film before you ever set out to, as you worded it, play music. You know what I mean? Like when you get to set, when you go to perform, having done the pre-production work that you, all that you can do in advance uh, will make you set up for so much more success than if you go in there and wing it. And I've been on both sides of the coin where, you know, we have our, storyboards or our story, you know, our beat sheet and everything. And then I've also winged it. And, you know, sometimes you prepare and prepare and then it crashes and burns on set. But And sometimes the thing that you don't prepare for at all is exactly. like the best thing you've ever made. It's exactly. like, how does storytelling work? Right. <laughs> like, I, just, I don't understand. Why am I being rewarded? The math ain't mathing. <laughs> yeah. It's just... Um, but I, and like, who knows, like maybe, you know, a year from now I'll be like listening to this. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, of course that was very 2023 Andrew trying to, <laughs> trying to color in the lines cause you've never colored in the lines before. Yeah. It's uh, good I mean, though, man. A, a lot of the stuff I have done is like going off of like a, just a, a mood yeah. and like relying completely on the edit. And, but the problem is like on set with those, I would be thinking about like, okay, wait, so the 180 is going to be over here because they're here and I'm going to cut this together with that. And then like when I go to edit the film, I'm like, oh crap, I didn't get the, didn't get the, yep, yep. the two shot for those. <laughs> so I'm going to have to, I'm just edit this out. Yeah. <laughs> like, have, have you used shot deck yet? Uh, yes. Dude, oh, Shot Deck is, is a game changer, man. I'm I'm new to it. It is. But it has revolutionized storyboarding for when, me. When did that come out? Probably two to three years ago, if I was guessing. Okay. I, I could yeah. be wrong. It's probably like eight years old. And so I just didn't before know that, it, but. like conversations I've had with, with DPs and stuff, like they would just basically make their own Shot Deck. Yeah. And like, you know, uh, was it Command, was it Command Alt 4? You know, yeah. screenshot, screenshot. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. screenshot yeah. stuff. Control Alt three is uh yeah, the whole screen and control right. alt four is yeah, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like yeah. just doing that on like YouTube videos and, and Google Vimeo, images, right. Yeah. Um and just like making your own yep. uh I mean there's I've seen like just databases people have made in yeah. Finder. Um and now it's just all there. And it's and beautiful. It's, there's no yeah. I, I think there's like a potential like pro and con to it because like I think it's such a helpful tool but do you get you know like 
okay, I want to shoot uh, a scene in a bus and say, type in bus. And like, that's great for communicating uh, in an impressive like pitch deck or something like we will be shooting on a bus and it will look cinematic. It will be lit well. Uh, But like, is that inspiring? Like whatever films that have already been done with a bus in it, uh, is that going, is that like kind of, we're all getting the same inspiration. All of our inspiration is coming from the same place. And so like, I think it's a good tool, but I think you have to search for inspiration somewhere else as well to, you know, make the bus scene not be like whatever, you know, popular recent films pop up in, you know, or like, you're, you know, so you're not just doing what's been done before. Yeah, you know? you're making it your own instead of just like finding something that worked for somebody else and trying to emulate it. And I mean, again, to your point, it's good to get references and, and things like that. But it's also, I've, I'm guilty of it where I've seen it and I'm like, okay, that's the shot that I want to get now <laughs> that I've seen it. Right, and, right. And there's an, a you lack can't of- You it. No, and there's a lack of authenticity of me as a filmmaker when I've seen somebody else's shot deck that is now painting the picture on my canvas, like at in the my same time, though, I feel like for for me, like I'm still learning so many funnel fundamentals of just oh my like gosh, good lighting, good storytelling, good composition, all that. Where I I'm gobbling up the shot deck like all the time. Yeah. I'm just on there all the time, like yep. you know, searching for inspiration. Well, so. and the the I, I forget the actual quote, but like the best way to become a master is to first like copy. Or, mm-hmm. or something to that effect. It's told much more eloquently yeah. than that. Well, all, all the all these like you know painters. I, I was really into Salvador Dali. Mm. Um, I I still like Salvador Dali. Um, but so I, I looked at like some of his earlier work. At, this is in college, and I was like surprised. It's just like sketches and normal art. And like all of the great artists, like you look at their early early stuff, and they're just kind of building. They had you know like Salvador Dali wasn't painting melting clocks like in in college i don't think um you know like at some point it, it's everybody's style is kind of like well you got your sketch work and this is just painting mm-hmm. but i think the same can be said for for filmmaking like you kind of need these these like learn how to do it right um or kind of learn the basics and then grow from there and i think the basics could be in a short film it could be in music videos uh it could be in features um even interviews dude just yeah. interviews with b-roll videos like i've learned so like i've learned how to light narrative a lot in part of just lighting interviews and seeing all the different scenarios that uh in a corporate setting you can light a face you can light a face <laughs> and a background and a background right. and like you deal with all of the difficult elements that you do in a narrative film when you're lighting an interview with mixed lighting coming in the room and, you know, intermittent clouds and all of these like things that I've learned in a corporate setting from doing interviews have transpired over to when I'm on a narrative film set of things that I'm going to be aware of and cognizant of before I get into the moment and there's hundreds of thousands of dollars riding on the line. Those corporate interviews have helped save my bacon when, you know, it in teaching me the fundamentals to set the film up for success. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, uh, scenarios that would happen too when we're doing these, you know, lower budget, like maybe it's a nonprofit or a corporate project, and I we would <clears throat> we would say, okay, everything's being filmed in this one room, and I'm like, Joey, 
you've got to make this room. I've got three interviews that we're doing because I'd be like producing, direct, asking the questions. You got to make this room look different three different times. And you look around, it's just a box. There's like yeah. nothing. And he's like, cool. But you know, you would you would figure out ways to do it. And we would even create stuff together. But I think it goes back to the the reps, right? Like putting in the reps, whatever it is, and learning to do it right. And I love what you said. Then you kind of grow into that artist of, okay, now I can break the rules. Now I can... Paint uh, melting clocks. Paint melting clocks, yeah. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, dude, you you talk, and I can tell that there's a lot of passion um, that you're carrying into this film and that you want to do it with excellence. Uh, I can feel that from you, that you're trying to do what you can to bring, you know, make this film excellent. What is What about this film is going to be unique for the viewers that you're trying to bring to this? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I need to think on that. Um, well, it's it's a pretty dark story. Uh, yeah. So Maximilian Kolbe, uh, he was a Catholic priest. Uh, he got sent to Auschwitz, and that's where he died. And uh, we don't know a ton about you know like the moment he died. He he uh, he volunteered to go into a starvation cell with nine other men, and that's where he died. Um, and we have a lot of uh, accounts from from within Auschwitz. Uh, also, like we're making a film that's based in Auschwitz, so that's like a pretty big challenge. Uh, so, like all the all the like the the cultural assumptions and all these things, like you know, this is one of the biggest atrocities of of the last century. Um, so there's there's quite a bit of like weight carrying with you know. I, I think. I had to like process through that of like, okay, we're gonna try and make something and add it to the, the, you know, database of of indie movies, um, and this is like something we we really need to get it right because it, it was like really messed up. Um, at the same time, like we're uh, at least right now we're not showing any like. You know, this isn't like Schindler's List where you're seeing like someone getting murdered on screen like every every five minutes or, you know, whatever it is. It's like just kind of um, there's a lot of there's a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of violence. Uh, there is some violence. Uh, there's a lot of like the violence happens off screen. It offers a chance for for you to really consider what it means to suffer. I think we're all, you know, at some point, we're, we're all going to suffer to some degree. You know, the suffering in a starvation cell to your death is like, the, that is a very terrible way to suffer. Um, but I think what the film really gets to at its core is like, we're all gonna die. Like, we live once and I think what the viewer can take away from, or what what this film offers a viewer, is an opportunity to contemplate what their existence really means when there's seemingly no hope left. Uh, when there's no, I mean, these these men are going to die um, with no honor. They're, you know. I mean, we don't we don't know the men who he died with. Like that, those names are just lost to history. I mean, to my understanding. Um, so that is what they were left with. Um, 
So this, like, there's a word for it. Um, when, like, the idea that you will be forgotten. Like, you, Andrew Holshu, will be forgotten someday. No one will remember your name. Um, you know, it gets into, like, some really deep philosophical stuff. But, I mean, nobody really knows outside of this existence. Like, I mean, that's why, you know, we... we all believe what we believe about the afterlife and everything. And of course, like Maximilian Kolbe had a very specific belief that I, I think I, I share quite a bit of, but um, it, it forces you to think about what are we doing here? What's the point? What's the point when we're suffering so much? And there is a point. Uh, I think suffering does have purpose. I think it draws us closer to our creator. Um, but that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, and so, you know, Anthony and I and, and working on this have kind of like, dove, you know, it's, it's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff to like deal with personally and think like, you know, I, I mean, every now and then, you know, we're like, we're, we're making, this is, this is fictional. It's, it's based on a real story, but there's a lot of fiction in it uh, because we don't know specifically what happened in that room. Uh, for I think it was 14 days that until mm. they all died. Um, but I mean, this really happened, mm. you know, like he really did volunteer to go in with them. There, there was one, uh, this is like kind of the famous story with Maximilian Colby, uh, that, uh, a convict escaped, uh, and as punishment, uh, 10 men, were taken to be put in a starvation cell until uh, in, until the prisoner was found. Uh, convict's not the right word, but um, then uh, one of them was pleading for them not to choose him, uh, and that's when Maximilian Colby stepped in and said, "I'll take his place." And mm. uh, that was something that wasn't really done, to my understanding. Like you'd be shot on the spot for stepping out of line, but he did, and then uh, the officer said. Okay, switch them out. And, um, you know, th this was like a famous priest beforehand, um, you know, before he got sent to Auschwitz and everything. So, anyway, it's really heavy stuff. It really makes it contemplate. I, I think, like, that's why I'm just kind of in that headspace. And, like, Oppenheimer is, like, kind of a similar headspace of, like, uh, just what does our existence mean, you know, with these, like, you know, there's there's terrible things. And our humanity ha exists in the midst of all, all of these, like, um, you know, I mean, amazing scientific breakthroughs and discovering things, but also like, you know, terrible things. And, um, I, I don't know, Oppenheimer is different, but there's, there's a big weight to it. And the, the idea is for it to be, um, uh, for it to be shown during Lent. So, for people of the Christian faith who practice Lent, uh, or maybe if you're not into practicing Lent, like if you're just interested in really diving into uh, what does suffering really mean? If you've if you had any moment of like, this feels pointless, like it might answer some of those questions. Wow. That's uh, that's heavy. It and is I heavy. can't, it's super I can't heavy. wait to watch the uh, film, man. <laughs> I like, I really want to make like a 
comedic short film or something. <laughs> <laughs> something really light. Well, Dude. that's where you could film some of the BTS. I still want to see this BTS of you guys playing yeah, Legos Anthony inside of Starbucks. Yeah. I feel like that's just yeah. like... I, so I did film the whole... Like, yeah, so each, that's great. We did like three three scenes. Um, I have like... So what we would do is we'd you know, game it out for a scene and talk about, like, okay, well, but this character delivers this line here and whatever. And then uh, once we got through the scene... I would film it on my iPhone and we'd walk through the whole thing just to confirm that like, okay, now it's on video and it's like you know, 10, 10 minute video that I later watch again mm. and kind of translate into, um, what's the app that I was using? Um, uh, Previs Pro. Yeah. Mm. Um, and kind of solidify it with the, you know, cause I would mention like, okay, on page 22, halfway through the, this character delivers the line and he's going to be over here. And me and Anthony are like, our hands are in the way, like moving and then like making the Lego character sit down. It's really, it sounds goofy, but super efficient. We're going to have to put some B-roll of that into that. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love so to be able to share some of I think that. he posted something on Instagram. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, awesome man. Yeah. Well, normally I would ask what's next for our guests when we wrap them out of here, but I, I know what's next for you, so I want to change the question a little bit and ask what is your hope out of what's next for you? Like what – like this, you're you're about to enter into a, a new chapter of your career and have a feature under your belt, and it's going to be this incredible project that you've poured your heart and soul into for since back in end of 2017 is when it's kicked off. What are you hoping that this does to take you to that next step in your career um, with this next project? Uh, you know, I, I'm trying not to think about that with this film because of the weight of like, this is a real thing. People died terrible ways and we're bringing that to film. Um, and I'm trying to just like do the story justice and not think about what it's going to do for my career. Mm. Um, I do want to write a feature myself or collaborate with somebody and uh, maybe something, maybe a little bit lighthearted. Uh, I really <laughs> like Mr. Bean and I'd love, <laughs> I, I just feel really inspired by that type of like really physical nonverbal comedy. Um, and so, I don't know, that's been something I've been sitting with for a while. Um, like, man, it'd be really fun to like write like a modern some type of Mr. Bean, like at the DMV or something. Um, <laughs> but like make it a, a feature-worthy like story. But um, so yeah, I guess like the next step, I think in my career is like, I, I've, I've learned a ton from Anthony who's, he wrote a feature. I haven't written one yet. And so like, I've learned a lot from like how he's done that um, and just my own research and like, how does this whole feature thing work? And I'd love to give it a go with, writing my own thing i love that dude super yeah. cool man well i'm excited to see that film come to life uh before we get to our final five questions we ask every guest is there anything else that you want people to know about the film uh in advance before it is shot or before they get a chance to yeah, watch it yeah definitely so um it is very like budget wise it's very indie like i think we're below the ultra low budget uh threshold so like um we are we're very ambitious uh with what we're doing i think we can do it uh but we are always looking for support uh people who want to help out in whichever way um 
I think the, what is it? We'll, we'll put it in the show notes yeah. or whatever. The, uh, ColbyPassion.org, I believe is the, you know, that's where you can get connected and everything and talk to me or Anthony or Cecilia is our amazing producer uh, who also works. That's Shout our connection. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's the big thing is like, we're, we're still like, um, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're working on pre-production and we got production and we got post and we got distribution. And if you're interested in being involved with any or all of that, um, like, or just being, you know, if, if, uh, you know about Maximilian Colby or if you haven't, you want to go, you know, read about it, if, if his story like inspires you, uh, you know, and you want to get involved in some way, like we'll put you on the list, uh, and, and find out like, you know, whatever you're interested in being involved with, um, and yeah, we'll make it happen. So don't, don't, uh, hesitate to, to reach out. Love it, dude. Well, I am super excited to see this film come to life. Is there something you want yeah, to Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we'll put the uh, links. Uh, we'll get those links from you. We'll put them in Sweet. the uh, show notes and on the YouTube uh, channel for this episode too, guys. So you can go read more about the film and get connected uh, with this team and potentially get involved, uh, help make it happen. Love it, man. Well, we got five questions okay. to wrap you out of here with. We like to ask every one of our guests. All right. And so first question is, what is one thing you would do different if you could go back and do it all again in your film career? Mm, I try not to have regrets. So I, I think, uh, I don't know that I'd do anything different. <laughs> well, what is one mistake that you, you made that I, somebody I, else yeah, could avoid? I, I, I would, I would uh, bring on, I'd figure out how to bring on a DP and an AC and a producer on earlier projects and just figure out like if I could speak to the younger self like look just get people at their buddy rates like pay them something but like don't try and do everything on your own like mm. it's just work with other people uh and yeah it might not turn out that great all the time and that's fine like but try and find like people to work with um I feel like I've always tried to work do that but like budget is one thing I I was always I think earlier on I was always afraid to spend too much money on my films. That's like it's a luxury to be able to do that. So yeah. I would tell myself like, you know, responsibly spend a little bit more money on your on your work. That's good. I mm. like that, man. What excites you the most about the current film industry or market? Hmm. You know, right now, um, all the interest in Oppenheimer has been really cool. Like, I've always been interested in, like, you know, historic stuff and, uh, you know, scientific discoveries throughout history and just to see something, like, well done. And it's also, like, in the spotlight. Um, I, I didn't anticipate it being so popular. I thought it was going to be one of those movies that I would really like, but then everybody like, oh yeah, cool, whatever, you know. What what was the name of it again? You know. Mm. <laughs> so I'm really excited to see that kind of thing and it being shot on film because I'd love to shoot movies on film someday. Um, and just, it's Nolan, like yeah, all the Nolan right. films are so iconic. It was right? I, it was IMAX, right? Wasn't it? Right. Uh, yeah. So super huge right. print film. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, saw some like BTS that. cameras. Uh, it was like <laughs> insanely. I don't. I don't know how you even operate that. But I. I heard. Uh, I think someone told me the other day that there are five IMAX cameras 
in the world, and Nolan has destroyed four of them. Legend has it. Or I think three of them were destroyed on Batman alone or something like wow. that. Like, yeah, crazy, man. Crazy. Wow. Um, what is one piece of advice that you can give to filmmakers trying to grow in their craft or their business? Hmm. I learn by doing. Uh, so I... I think that's what I'd, you know, get out there with a camera and, like, go make something. Like, yeah, you might stumble a bit and, you know, what you're making right now or what you're going to make, you know, a year from now, you'll probably cringe watching it. And that's that's okay. That's supposed to happen. Uh, but just get out there and make stuff. Just, you know, uh, pick up a camera and do your best cinematography, light it the best you can, do your best with a story, uh, but don't don't let this like intimidation hold you back. Just get out there and, and learn by doing. Love that, man. Where are we as an industry headed in filmmaking or what should we be focusing on? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think we should be focusing on, um, I don't know, I you know, Climate change is kind of concerning, I, but like it gets in this like weird political thing, and I don't see it as a political thing. It's just kind of like this is a thing that all the scientists are saying is happening. So like I don't know. Um, I, I would love to see that kind of brought into. I feel like there's uh, at least like in the you know, I, you know I, I I like to pay attention to what's going on in the uh, with Christian films that are also art house, you know, so not like I'm not interested in watching fireproof ever again in my life or movies. Like it's just not really my cup of tea. Um, but more like tree of life. Like I would consider that like a, a, a film that's kind of inspired by, you know, my beliefs. I, I think like I, I, I connected with it in that way. Um, movies kind of like it. Um, but kind of bringing into, um, you know, a good example would be there's two anime movies that are, I know anime, not everybody likes anime. You just got to trust me and watch it. <laughs> uh, one of them is princess Mononoke. And, uh, the other one is Nausicaa, both studio Ghibli films. Uh, both have this kind of, um, it just kind of gets you thinking about environmentalism. That's not like. I don't know, this whole like conversation like, oh, global warming is not real or something. But um, I mean, we we affect the world that we live in. You know, we are like a massive organism on this planet. And like it matters, you know, uh, but there's also like this spiritual aspect. And I don't really I see the two like being separate all the time and not being in like really the Ghibli films, like kind of at least like Nausicaa and Mononoke kind of bring the two together oddly. Um, so I, I'd like to see, I don't know what the question was. I'd like to see, honestly, I'd like to see Nausicaa and Mononoke like well done in a live action <laughs> form. Like maybe uh, Denis Villeneuve doing both of those movies would be amazing. Dune or version. Like, <laughs> right. Or just like a movie. I mean, like Dune's actually a good example of, of I mean, there's a lot of like environmental type stuff um, the book in the books and in the movies, but. 
Anyway, I gotta ask. Did I answer the question? <laughs> uh, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think to like your point, you want to see like if if I may sum it up, yeah. but it's like substance in storytelling to some extent, right? Like you you want some of these topics that could be discussed. Uh, Oppenheimer was a perfect example. Yeah, like we could have like blown up the earth. Like when I found that out, just like learning about you know the kind of discovery of uh, uh, splitting the atom and all that, like on my own, and I found like wait, they were they didn't know for sure until they actually did the first test. Um, granted, it was like extremely low, but but like that's something that's like this what we're discovering, what you know what we are doing here has consequences. Mm. I think that's what like I felt really inspired mm. by that. Like so I think more movies like it that kind of make us think about hey, the actions that we need to think about what we're doing in the world. Mm. Whatever it is. Like whether in complacency or discovery or uh you know, being really intentional, like we we need to think about what we're doing because it always has consequences and sometimes consequences that are bad. Mm. And like how do we know that we're not we're not doing something now that could have really bad consequences. Not that we should like be living in fear of like, oh, I'm going to do something wrong. But like, you know, we, we should be thinking about what we're doing no matter what, like whether it's climate or with each other or whatever. I just, I, I think that aspect of, of storytelling is really interesting to me. Love that's it. good, dude. Yeah, that's really good. Um, who is one filmmaker that you admire and why? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm kind of on a Denis Villeneuve kick. I have been, like, since Dune came out. I feel like that, like, I read the books, and he just did justice. Like, I, yeah, I, I really admire his uh, ability to, I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's just, like, those movies feel like something. I really, like, they're... Um, I don't know. It's in, in a weird way. I just like feel completely satisfied, like intellectually, artistically, like it was just a good story. It was told interestingly. Like, so I don't know. Greg yeah. Frazier is the DP on Dune and I have a million questions for him on how he actually executed that successfully. But they, like the whole film looks like it was shot at like this 15 minute window of like, blue hour lighting yeah um and just like everything is so soft like they actually shot it on on film transcribed it to i thought they shot no, digital no, no, you're and right then, yes and then they know, shot it on digital projected or whatever on the Tran film like trans to get the grain it. and the halation and all yeah. that film I yeah transcoded it to film and then went back to digital to edit on so that they could get that like just film filmic look to it. Wow. And just like the processing they went to make that film, it just looks unlike any other film I've ever seen. So which is really cool. I like I, I mean I, I I like film. I shoot on like I I shoot stills on film all the time. Um, and there's something to um, when you I would assume because I've never shot like like a, a short film or something, anything narrative on a on actual film. But what I assume happens is like now all of a sudden the focus is all more dialed. It's not like oh we can't just do another take. Mm -hmm. Like we don't. This is it, you know. <laughs> or we need to like load more film in or whatever. I know whenever I'm shooting photography with film, my intentionality mm. as a photographer goes way up versus mm -hmm. digital. Uh, and like, yeah, it might stink if I 
take one picture and it doesn't turn out great. I'm like, well, dang it. But a lot of the time, like some of my favorite pictures I've ever taken were on film. Hmm. I think still like my favorite pictures I've ever taken are, are on black and white film. Hmm. Uh, and I, I think there's something, I mean, yeah, like there's the cool like aesthetic of grain and halation and all, all this like kind of look that's just baked into it. Aside from that though, there's an intentionality that's forced on you having, you are limited. Like there's not like, oh, I can take more. Like you can't, you have to put in another roll or you have to put in a new cartridge or. And it costs money. And it costs money. There's consequences to that. And so you have to like, everything becomes more intentional. I think that's the magic behind film, like all film, like shooting a movie on film or taking pictures on film. I'm at the stage where I'm just taking pictures and learning that way. But I really want to apply that to my digital filmmaking, that intentionality of, of like, how can I just pretend that like it's going to cost money to to dump this this we CF need, like, card and two gigabyte <laughs> SD cards for <laughs> right. our digital cameras? <laughs> right. It's like okay, we have one take. It's just yeah. hard to limit yourself because it's like, well, no, just get another CF card. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. get another you know Red Mag or whatever. Yeah. But like, if you're shooting film, like, it is what it is. You're up against the reality of the medium. Mm. So I don't know. I, I don't know. It wasn't a question. No, but I, I, love I really would like to shoot a film with actual film sometime because of that, not just because of, I think when you're at a place with, with Dune and you have this giant budget and it's like these, these marginal aesthetic differences, it's a luxury. Like you can afford to put the whole thing on film and then, and then digitize that for the look. And I, I think it's awesome. But uh, I think the value of film for us as, I'm just gonna call all of us indie filmmakers right yeah. now, uh, is that that forced intentionality because there's no like you can't just buy a two terabyte CF card or anything. It's like well you have to buy more film and then you have to get that processed and scanned mm-hmm. and that's expensive and that eats up some of your actual film budget. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden like the take like the actor is like it subconsciously thinking like I have to get this right you know. And there's a waiting process too though. You know what I mean? <laughs> Usually, like, did I get it? Did I get the shot? I've shot film before, you know, some school projects, that kind of stuff. But it's way back, you know, and shooting it, and you go, I hope, I hope that comes out like how I want yeah, it to be. Yeah. Like it's it a totally so different mind. When it doesn't. Yeah. Totally different. <laughs> we mindset. didn't talk about that when it doesn't work. In but some ways, like film is a luxury too. I think there's a sweet spot where like you, you, you can't afford that. I, I feel like film right now for me is a luxury. I think I'm like, kind of lying to myself because I, I think I can afford it. Um, and I'm just like, well, but I got I I got a red Komodo, so I shoot on that. Mm-hmm. And I spent all the money on that. Um, but um, yeah, I, know, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, That's no, good. I'm with you though, because you, I mean, you know, I don't know how to say it, but it's easier, right? It's easier for mm-hmm. us while we're still learning. And you go, right. let's shoot on the Komodo, because right. I might need to go dump this mag and then format and you know right. shoot again. Right. And with film, like. You do, like, I love what you said about being intentional, and you have to decide. You have to know why you're deciding that, and that this is going to be the take, and but that's then, all you get. But then you make that one mistake, yeah. whether it's, like, breaking the 180 or, like, lighting something not well or or not getting the focus dialed in right because mm-hmm. you're shooting on film and you have to focus totally differently. Um, you know, you make that mistake once, and you never make it again because that True. mistake hurt. True. Yeah. So it's, like, high-risk High reward in like the learning environment. So I, I, I could see it argued both ways. That's true. It's good, man. True. I should just shoot a short on film. Do it. Do it. 
we got a film camera right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's super right. I want to shoot on That's fair. Totally. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much, man. This has been such a great episode. Yeah. I appreciate you coming through. I am super excited to see the new film when it comes out. And uh, if people want to connect with you uh, and help support the project, can you say the name of how they can get connected with you one more time? Colby'sPassion.org. I think my uh, social stuff will be on there too, although I'm not really on social media a ton. Um, so yeah, Colby'sPassion.org. Somebody will definitely get back to you. Love that, man. Well, if you are a first-time listener and you've made it all the way through, we appreciate you. Uh, welcome to the Rough Cut Club yourself. Uh, be sure to stay connected with us so you can tune into more episodes as they come out. Be sure to give us a like and subscribe as it will help us reach other larger audiences. Andrew, thank you so much for your time once again, man. This has been an amazing episode. Yeah. Be sure to tune in and we will catch you on the next episode of the Rough Cut Club.